with Sea Dog, living their best life, you know. Um, but, um, <laughs> sorry, I got distracted there. And uh, that's how my mind works. 37 weeks he's been teaching. 37 weeks you've been teaching through biblical geography? Dude, I, like, like three lessons in, I'm like, la, 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 la. <sighs> Man. I just, I don't, man, praise the Lord. Uh, but anywho, um, <laughs> where was I? Back to our building. And so um, in, 2000, in 2017, uh, we were, uh, 2016, we were meeting in a park. We were supposed to, in June, buy a building. And then uh, 23 days before signing the purchase agreement, giving money over to them, they kicked us out of the building. They sold it to someone else for $200,000 more money. And so uh, we met in the park for six months. Now, it was awesome because I'm like, I, I, I felt like a bad pastor. Like, here I am leading these people to get this building. And, but God knew. And first Sunday in the park, we had visitors. Six weeks later, we led that family to the Lord. God knows what he's doing. We were in the park, and so then winter was coming, so we found an enclosed shelter that we had to meet at different times. Like one week it would be you got it from 8.30 to 11. The next week you've got it from 2 to two to 5. Like, I don't know about y'all, but that's not really conducive for church growth. Right. <laughs> right. And so, uh, but we had visitors. People randomly coming. They thought something else was going on. They're like, oh, no, we're just a bunch of white people having church. Amen. Amen. They're like, oh, we need diversity. I'm like, come on in, we'll get it, amen, right? And so, uh, but anywho, <clears throat> um, so that December, we, we wanted to buy a piece of property that was 7.77 acres. That's, that's God's land, right? I, I became a believer in numerology, amen. And, and that price needs to be $7, amen. <laughs> no, but, but we wanted, and we could not get an answer from them, could not get an answer from them. It was right off of the highway. I mean, just right on the outside of town. I mean, just exactly where we wanted to be. In December, I get a phone call. It says, hey, you need a church. They need a pastor. And I'm like, no, actually, I've got a church. We just need a building. No, here, just call this number. I call Brother Nolan. Brother Nolan's like, hey, come over to my house. We go over to his house. We go and look at the church. Stained glass windows, bell. I mean, it just, it hit everything that we were wanting. Just an old-fashioned country church. Amen. Hey, by the way, I'm still, I still like that Wendy's religion. Old-fashioned, hot, and juicy. Amen. Ain't no Burger King religion around here. I ain't having it my way. Amen. But anyways, <clears throat> I, am, I, I do like the McDonald's french fries, though. I'm loving that. Hallelujah. But anyways, um, so we go and we go and eat dinner with them. He surprises us by having the board of directors come over and they start grilling us on what we believe. We hold a church service there, June or January 1, 2017. We hold the church service there. 90 people showed up. Now we only had, we only had like 35, 40 people at the time and all these people and we're all just like, where are all these people coming? Brother Nolan said, hey, come meet our new pastor. <laughs> I didn't know that. So then we, we preached who we are, amen. The next week, nobody came back. 
except our people. January 18th, we sat in that, that kitchen, our leadership of Glory Baptist Church. And man, I was ready to go toe-to-toe. We're not going to be a liturgy. We're not going to do this. The Apostles' Creed. No, we're not going to quote that. That's Catholic. Amen. I was ready to go. <laughs> I, they, we get into it, and I start tearing down the, the Apostles' Creed of why we're not going to be quoting that every week, even though it might be a good mantra to have in your life. We're not going to quote Amen. And the preacher stops. He goes, whoa, 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 Brother Jeff, Brother Jeff, Brother Jeff, time out for a moment. He said, the building's already yours. They just want to know if they can go to church with you. I was like, oh. I'll have a brownie, please. (laughs) God will give you a building. Pray. We prayed every night, 7 o'clock, our church, every night for months. 7 o'clock. Y'all need to corporately pray you need to be unified in this. I don't know what the time over there is going. I don't know what the time difference is. It's four hours. Four hours different. That's all. It's five hour difference. Ah, that's. Y'all need to find out when they're praying and pray with them. God will. God will do it. God is still looking to show Himself of doing the impossible things. He likes to do God's stuff. And I'm thankful for that. Amen. Amen. So that's my testimony. All right, what time are you normally done on Thursday, on Sunday nights? When you're done. Okay. All right. Well, glory. All right, let's... All right, tonight, I want to be a blessing to the church. Amen. That's my desire. I want to be a blessing to the church. I, I love this church. I, you're, you're one of not another that I say, man, I could go there. I, I could. Your pastor and I are very, very good friends. I, I love your pastor. I love his stand. I love his doctrine. I love... Uh, his spirit, we pastor similarly because we care about people. We invest in people. We don't just use people. You're not. <clears throat> We're investing in you so that you can give glory and honor to God and be prepared to stand before him one day, not so you can build our empire. Amen. 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 <clears throat> that being said, 99.99% of the messages that come from this pulpit are to help you. Tonight, I want to be that 0.01% that helps your pastor. I'm going to preach a message tonight entitled, What Your Pastor Wants You to Know But Will Probably Never Tell You. There are going to be things we're going to talk about tonight that he's going to be like, Oh, I cannot believe. No. It's the Word of God, number one. Number two... You've got a good man of God. I know you've got a good man of God because, number one, he's my friend. And I claim that. I can't believe he claimed it from the pulpit. Are y'all live streaming right now? It is on the World Wide Web. Amen. I'm his friend. But I know this. He stands for truth. 
And for you to find a man of God that stands for truth and preaches God's word unashamedly and loves you and serves you and lays down his life for you, as Paul said, to spend and be spent for you, it's very rare to find that today. It's amazing how pastors will pass off the scene generationally. Pastors will pass off the scene and the church go... I'm sorry, I'm still old-timey. We were talking about that the other night at dinner. I'm old-timey. I know everybody's, they, everybody's up in arms about saying you're old-fashioned. I'm, I'm old-fashioned. I'm old-timey. There's nothing wrong with being old-timey. I, 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 I love to go back to the 1920s, 1940s, 1970s when we're actually somewhat of a moral country. I, will, I love some of that. I'm glad I've got the timeless truths of God's word. But I like being old-timey. There's nothing wrong with that. that I, there, is nothing, there is nothing in the Bible that says you've got to be contemporary in everything you do. You're not going to find it. God says, ask for the old path. And I'm glad that there are some men of God today that are still in that old path. They get called dinosaurs. They don't, get, they don't get invited out to preach at all the places. And they're not real popular. And they're not speaking at the big conferences. And they're not, they're not just bringing, it, bringing the house down and all the extra stuffs. No, they day in, day out just grind. And serve God. And minister to the flock that God has given them. And so this evening... Let's take our Bibles and let's turn to 1 Kings chapter number 18. 1 Kings chapter number 18. Have you ever been on a trip? You ever been going somewhere? You're like, how in the world did we get here? We did that. Our first ministry was in the suburbs of Philadelphia. And we were going to see, uh, Tracy had an uncle that lived in New Jersey. And so uh, we were going to the church. We were trying to line up housing and different things. And, and so we ended up going over to her uncle's house in New Jersey. Now, <clears throat> a couple of things if you ever go to New Jersey. Um, you do not have to tip the guy that is pumping your gas. Uh, and you are not allowed to pump your own gas. Uh, it's against the law. They have, they have a person there. And watch this. You do not have to tip them. I didn't know that. So I give them my last, like, three or four dollars. We're getting back on the highway. We're going to go across the toll bridge. Well, guess what? I didn't have any more money because I just gave it to the guy that was pumping my gas. And the lady's like, well, you don't have to tip them. I'm like, well, why don't they have a sign at the gas station that says, do not tip the workers. They're paid. No, they don't. That's inconvenient. So we have to sit there for like an hour and wait for a police officer to show up to give us a ticket for not paying the $3 toll. He comes over and he's like, all right, all right. He sees we got Indiana plates and he's like, all right, I'm going to just let you go. He's like, get out of here. And so he drives off and I'm following him thinking he's going to the highway. He pulls off, pulls me over. He says, what are you doing following me? I'm like, dude, I'm just trying to get back to the highway. I was following you. He's like, get out of here. I'm like, all right. Have no clue where I'm going. No clue. And all of a sudden, we get a sign that says Maryland. 
I don't know how we got there, but, but we have a scrapbook page that tells us that night we were in the wrong spot. In chapter number 19, now we know we're in 18, hold on. Chapter number 19, we're going to find Elijah in a place that he's in the wrong spot. He's under a juniper tree. He's there saying, oh, it'd be better if I were dead. How did he get there? Hey, because the average church member reads this passage of Scripture beginning in verse number 17. And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou that troubleth Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Good job, preacher. We find the man of God against a godless monarch. Right? And get him, preacher. No, there was nobody amen in him. How do you know that? Because read through the rest of the passage. But then we see, we see in verse number 19, it says, Now therefore send and gather all Israel to Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal 450, and the prophets of the groves 400, which ate at Jezebel's table, and Ahab uh, sent unto all the children of Israel, and they gathered, and in verse number 21, Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If God, if the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And all the people answered not a word. And we say, Amen, preacher, strong stand. Right? So we've got this man of God going against a godless monarch. We've got a strong stand. We see the power of prayer. Jump down to verse number 36. And it came to pass at the time of the evening sacrifice. Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, that, thy, that I am thy servant. And that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me. That this people may know that thou art the Lord God and thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell. Power of prayer, instant inferno. Hallelujah. And everybody's on shouting ground now because we've got a corporate confession. Revival takes place. He is the Lord. He is the Lord. And Elijah says, all right, gather them all up. And we get a thorough triumph because he goes and kills them all. How in the world do we end up under a juniper tree then? This is exactly how the average person reads that story. But this evening, I want to I read it in a different perspective. And now, have I said anything wrong yet about this story? But I don't think we have a complete picture. Let's go back to verse number 17. Ahab said unto him, who's the him? Elijah. So right here off the bat, the, the king's talking to Elijah and he says, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? So now you see right here, you see just words. I see a false accusation. It's not rained for three and a half years. People are grumpy. People are a little cantankerous. 
And this is the man of God that prayed for it not to rain. You're the one that troubled Israel. And the man of God comes back. I'm not the one that's troubling Israel. You are. Hey, can I, can I tell you this? It takes an emotional toil on a man when he is falsely accused. I'm just, I'm just going to be honest with you. Uh, there's been a time we, we're changed up how, how we do some things um, in our, our church and how we minister as a family. Um, we've had a policy that if somebody needed a place to stay, they stay at our place. People that we're ministering to, this, that, and the other. We were trying to help people out or, uh, get out of drugs and this, that, and the other. I mean, we've had extended stays. We've had one, one fellow lived with us for 60 days. We had another family live with us for 30 days. We had another lady live with us for 30 days. We, we've done everything we possibly can to minister to people. Do you know what is absolutely amazing to me, though? The people that they're ministering to, every single time accusations come out about me. False accusations. Hey, the, the first fellow, he, he would go around our church and tell everyone that I'm having an affair. Uh, this, one was, this one was precious, that I'm a sodomite. I'm having an affair, but not, not with another woman, but a sodomite relationship. Now, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know about you. There's a few things I know about myself. <laughs> and that's a show. Yeah. One of them. I've been defiled before as a young man. Have no desire to go into that, but it was a false accusation. Well, it's not true. Your people didn't believe it. It doesn't matter if it's not true. The devil tempted Adam and Eve with doubt. All it takes, all it takes is just a seed of doubt. All that does is just put a little seed in the back of the mind and says, Well, no, he's a man of integrity. And then you look around our society, men of integrity, falling, falling. Falling, falling. I remember when somebody said that about preacher. Hey, Brother Chad, I think I think we ought to look into this a little bit. And if the preacher can come out, stand boldly, and look at my life, give you his phone, and let you see every message. He can do everything that's possibly. But guess what? In perception, he's still guilty because that's the society in which we are living. I didn't say it's right. The reality is this. That false accusation started at the top. <clears throat> I've been accused. I'm No doubt your, your preacher has been in the ministry a lot longer than I have. Many, 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 many years longer than I have. But I, I guarantee if you went to him and asked him, if there, has there ever been a false accusation against you? If he is honest, he will have to. If he is honest, he will say yes. Because there's not a preacher I know of that's doing anything for God where the enemy has not come up and tried to put in a seed of doubt against the authority of the pastor. Not only do I see a... a, 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 a false accusation but I want you to see this I see overwhelming odds 
I want you to the the prophets of Baal are four hundred and fifty. The prophets of the grove four hundred, eight hundred and fifty to one. You say, well, well, all the people of Israel were there. They were. Obadiah, the one that said he loved the Lord. Uh, there's, there's the hundred or so that he hid in a cave. We know that scripture teaches another 6,000. But on that mountain that day, they answered him not a word. And I don't know who all was in that crowd, but not a single person on the top of that mountain. And the Bible says all Israel. They gathered all Israel. Please know they gathered all Israel. And that man of God standing there, 100 to 850 with all the crowd standing there, not a word. You're like, well, he did it. He, 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 he has, he has false ideas because he says he's the one and only. That moment, he was the one and only. Yeah, I, I, we've got to understand this perception sometimes is reality. As much as we hate that, people's perception of church today is their present reality. I, we, were, we were on the trolley yesterday. I'd be careful riding the trolley on Saturday afternoons going to Finley Market when there's four major events going on in the city of Cincy. Just a FYI. I, my PTSD was raging yesterday because Trailer Parkville, Tennessee was right in front of us. We heard a lot of no-no words and no-no things that my kids should not have ever learned. But guess what? <laughs> What's that commercial? That insurance commercial, what does it say? Yeah, we know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two, and that's our experience from Cincinnati. Amen. All right. And so, and by the way, your pastor told us to go take that trolley ride. No. Oh, man, he didn't know that Zachary Taylor was going to be standing off across from us with his, his unofficial, official uh, emotional help dog. And, uh, but anyways, here nor there. <laughs> But here it is. It's, it's amazing that the fellow that got on the, he's like, they want me to go to church. He's a hypocrite. Hey, do you know, can I, can I tell you this? Stop going to Walmart. Don't go to Meyer. Don't go to Kroger. Because there's hypocrites. You walk through the door, the person that's checking you out right there, uh, they're a hypocrite. I love Kroger when I'm there, and then they're like, man, I can't believe my managers did that. No, they hate their job. Hypocrite! Hey, you're going to find hypocrites in church. Now, it's a shame. You shouldn't be a hypocrite. But you can't give up on church. You can't give up on God just because somebody is a hypocrite. They'll answer to God for that. Yeah, you're not their judge. Don't worry about them. Worry about you. But anyway, so I see overwhelming eyes. I see an apathetic audience. They answered not a word. I want, you to, I want you to think about this. I see loneliness. Verse number 22, and it says, Elijah said, um, and then said Elijah unto the people, I even, I only remain a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let them therefore give us, uh, let them themselves. He says, and then I'll dress one. Them, they, us. I. He says, you call on the name of your gods, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. I want you to notice this in verse number 25. 
Choose you for yourselves, for ye are many. And call ye on, uh, call ye on your gods. And they took and given them and they dressed it. Hey, I want you to notice this. They're, they're butchering this beast and there are several of them. All right, uh, they... Hey, I want you to notice some of the emotional tear, uh, wear on them. Um, he emotionally is invested in this. Nobody's answering them. But then what's he do? He's like, well, they're sitting here at noontime and they're still calling on them. He begins to mock them. Hey, by the way, let's, let's be real careful here that we start criticizing the preacher man for naming names. Hey, God names names in the word of God. Hey, he calls out heretics. Hey, that's, that's part of the preacher's job. When someone on, new comes on the scene, he has a biblical responsibility to warn you against heresy. Man, I'm so glad, Brother Alexander, when he was preaching up there uh, this morning, man, he was getting after it and it was getting good and it was getting gooder when he said this. He said this false doctrine about people that say that there's a limited atonement. That's heresy. I cannot fellowship with them because they're in heresy. Like, well, brother, they're, they're only a three point. They're three points wrong on the salvation that Jesus Christ freely gives all men. Why then am I going to lock arms with somebody that denies Jesus shedding his blood for all men? I'm okay being old-timey, by the way. I don't know if I said that already. I, I, don't need, I, I don't need to win friends and influence people. I need to win Christ. And I'm okay. Brother Burke, forgive me. But I'm okay if I get to that finish line and I've got zero friends. Because if I've got zero friends, then that means that I'm the one and only. I'm like, well, you don't know about the 6,000 others. I might not. And God will fix that thinking as he does for Elijah. But here, I'm seeing this completely different than... He's lonely. It's physical. Hey, how many, how many, how many tanks do we have? All right, when I, what I mean by tanks, energy tanks. You've got a physical one, you've got an emotional one, you've got a spiritual one. Right? We're made in the triune being as our God is, so we, we have a, our, our body, our spirit, and our soul. Uh, the soul is the, the seat of the emotions. Our spirit is where the Holy Spirit resides, and, and he busts out in all the other places. Amen. Aren't you glad for that? But that physical being, uh, isn't, it, isn't it amazing that um, in that, <clears throat> we're about to see the man of God, is uh, he's exerting himself on all three levels. But let's look at the physical first. In verse number 30, Elijah said, all the people come near unto me. And all the people came near, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. 
Alright, so in this moment, he's a builder. That, do you think, now, how, how bad was it? Well, we know it's bad enough because the, 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 the prophets of Baal and of the groves, they were climbing all over it. They're cutting themselves. They're, they're making a mess on top of this mountain. And the man of God comes over and has to clean up all their nonsense. He then takes 12 stones. Now, I find this very interesting. As you, he starts to exert himself, he takes 12 stones to represent one, uh, the, each of uh, the 12 tribes. All right, so, so as he comes over here, these aren't just these little bitty rocks. Uh, there's, there's estimations, and, and again, it's all guesstimation, you, this different things. But, but they say that, that those, those, those boulders that he would have picked up for that were anywhere from 100 to 250 pounds. So how many of you are like, uh, like world's strongest man competitions, things like that? Anybody into that at all? Okay, I, I got a couple guys in my, nobody. Wow. All right, I got a couple guys in my church that are into it, and they've actually made their own atlas stones. All right, so they've got this 220-pound atlas stone that they come over and they pick up and they put up here and they, they work out with it. And I watch them exert themselves, and they do it, Two or three times and they're done. Elijah does it 12. Comes over, gets this boulder, one. All right, so, so. Uh, any landscapers move boulders around <laughs> I didn't say wives moving their husbands out of bed alright <laughs> it doesn't count but here it is uh, is it easy brother moving boulders around no I, normally you get a machine that does that for you but not Elijah he doesn't have the machine he's got to do it all by himself well, that's, I mean, right there, that we're, we're good, right? No, read the rest of the scriptures. He then, he then digs a trench. Now, the Bible tells us that it's two to three measures of seed. This is, what that means is it's between 20 and, and 30 quarts. Now, you got to remember, he didn't have a ditch witch. He's digging this trench... On the top of a mountain. All right, all right, so here it is. It's not, he's exerting himself to dig this trench. And what's everybody doing? Whew. Man, look at Elijah go. I didn't know he had deltoids like that. That's amazing. Look at those biceps. I bet that guy's got an amazing core. Hey, they're standing over here. The lady's like, I wouldn't do it that way. I would, I would make sure that that's all cleaned up and all that dirt would just be spread out evenly as we're potting our plants. You got the young people over here on the side like, <laughs> that looks hard. And all the people watch him. The Bible then says he stacked the wood. How many of you use lumber or stack firewood? How was that? Uh, you get tired after you stack the firewood? 
Now watch this. Uh, The Bible says in five words, probably took anywhere from five to ten hours. He cut the bullock in pieces. All right, now we got any deer hunters in here? Man, I am striking out. Y'all do nothing. All right. <laughs> Ohio is bored. No, I'm joking. All right, so we got one hunter back there. You process your own deer. All right, how, what's the biggest deer you ever caught? Or got? I, I don't know. I'm not a hunter. A couple hundred pounds. How long did it take you to process their deer out? A couple hours. All right, 200 pounds two hours all right now i want you to think about that's 200 pounds we're talking about a bullock they they tell us that these bullocks would have weighed anywhere from 1500 to 2500 pounds (laughs) and he's cutting it in to pieces now brother were you tired after two hours of processing a deer all right, now, now, I don't think that you went and carried 12 atlas stones, stacked wood, and digged a trench before you went deer hunting. Matter of fact, he was probably sitting in a deer stand drinking coffee or something, kind of like, oh, oh, oh. oh, there he is. About right? Yeah, amen. Here it is. All right, so you tracking me? We, this physical tank, where do you think it's at? Uh, it can't be empty yet. Because we, we still got some more to do. Hey, don't forget, he plays Fruit Ninja with at least 450 men. I don't know how long it took him to kill 450 men. That's if he only killed the prophets of the Baal, which is gives us somewhat of an indication but Jezebel's really mad because the ones that sit at her table aren't at the table anymore so that gives us the insinuation that all 850 are dead I don't know how much strength it takes to give one one cutting blow to kill a man kneecaps I do understand but but (laughs) killing blow I don't know is he done This is absolutely amazing to me. Keep reading. He then tells Ahab, get down off the mountain. Get back to Jezreel. It's about to rain. He tells him down in the brook. He then climbs back up the mountain. Climbs up the mountain. Then fervently prays seven times. Then runs ahead of Ahab to Jezreel. From Mount Carmel to Jezreel is 30 miles. 30. Physically, how did we get to it? It's enough. Let me die. He just saw a great victory. His physical tank is completely done. His emotional tank. His emotional tank. <laughs> Look at you. Look at you jokers over there. Hey, y'all think that there's a real God up there. Oh, hey, you need to cry a little bit louder. He was taking a stand. 
Well, he was being insensitive. I'm sorry. The word of God stops at your, your, the, the word of God doesn't stop where your feelings begin. I'm, get out of your feelings. That's our problem with our churches today. We're following the society's example and we're living in our feelings. And the Bible tells us that your feelings are a liar, according to Brother Jeff when he preached at camp. Well, that's good preach right there. I'll let him preach that message for you. It was good. I did not like how the preacher called me out like that. Let me ask you a question. Were you wrong? Were you wrong? Were you in sin? Stop putting it back on. Stop the blame game. He'll preach on that eventually, probably. We learned a whole series about that at the the Hope Conference. We want to blame everybody else for our sin. And here it is, the man of God's only doing what he's been called to do, to show the people that God is real. And he exerts himself emotionally. I want you to think about the emotional. Do y'all have big days here? Hey, do y'all do a fall campaign or anything like that? You do a a culminating on a big Sunday, like an anniversary or something like that, and you push to have a lot of people here. Have y'all ever had that high day? People get saved, and everybody's like, yeah! You ever get that? How do you feel the next day? Whew, I need a vacation. Right? Hey, I want you to think about that. When the fire falls from heaven, emotional take that it took on Elijah after he just prayed 63 words. Oh, and by the way, I left out one thing. The only time the people offered to help him in this whole situation was to pour cold water on the possibility of God doing a miracle. Hey, I want you all to get those four jugs over there and pour water on this. And the people are like, oh, yeah, let's do it. And they came. And no doubt in my mind, Elijah's over there. Wake me up when you are done. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's time. He's wore out physically, emotionally, spiritually he's spent. And the only involvement of the people is to pour cold water on the dreams. Your pastor gets a vision from God, I'm assuming. Yeah? Watch this. Have you gotten a vision of where, like directional, where you think God's leading y'all? Have you shared that with the church completely, all of it? Every bit of it? Hey, hold on, hold on, hold on. I want y'all to hear this. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Time out for just a moment. What did you just say? <laughs> Scare them. Because the vision, watch this, Isaiah 22, the burden of the valley of vision. Every pastor that's worth his salt has a vision from God for that church that goes well beyond the walls of that church. If he laid out everything that God has revealed to him over the years, how many years you've been here? 
30 years. That's a long time to be in one place. And he's got a vision that goes all the way out. I want you to think about this. If he had kept all those people that were starting churches all over the place, how big would this church be? I, I, how, what's, what's Brother Alexander got down there? 30? 40? All right, so add 30 into this crowd. What does Brother uh, Roberts got out in Colorado? About 30. Add another 30. So we got 60 more people in here. Um, Brother Salih, add in what he's reaching. Uh, other, other places that y'all started churches, add all that in here. You'd have a big church. But that's, God's not called him to empire building. He's called him to kingdom building. And here it is. He's focusing on that. But the vision that he's got for you, he can't lay it all out. Because you're like, whoa, he's gone off the deep end. And he's got to hold that back. That's a burden. And why is he taking a missions trip to Scotland? Well, he's going to go help build a church there, but he's hoping to get a vision in your heart. Stir that up and get you into service. Get you going somewhere. That is, that's what the man of God's supposed to do. And we see him sitting under a juniper tree and everybody criticizing him. Ah, oh, he's scared of a woman. Elijah's not scared of a woman. He just took on 850 men. He's not scared of a woman. He withstood a godless monarch to the face. And we wonder why preachers are quitting. The last statistic that I heard, 1,200 preachers a month are quitting the ministry. That's evangelical. I know. I I I, yeah, I, I know. It. I'm not evangelical. I know that. But I, the, in our group, we are such a small sampling that we wouldn't even register. But ours, I guarantee you, is faster than that per capita. I know of I know of seven churches in Iowa in the last two years that the pastors have quit the ministry. Hey, we're not, we're not trying to get new churches started. We're trying to get the old ones, get a pastor in the spot. There are several pastors that I know of that are pastoring two, three churches. Because nobody else is doing it. And we wonder why the preacher's sitting under the juniper tree. Well, I, I just, I just, I, I know your preacher, and I, I, I know the investment that he puts into each and every one of you. But I want you to think about how he has affected you and your family. Multiply that by the whole church. Multiply that by the people that aren't even here, the people that are in the community that he's ministering to and reaching out to, and the nursing homes that you go to and investing in, and the funerals that he does. Do you think that wears on him? Hey, now watch this. I bet if you were to actually ask him about it, his tanks are empty. He has to run on half because the ministry keeps going. Hey, people keep having problems. People keep sinning. People, and the man of God is not going to quit. So he runs himself to death. While the church sits by and lets him. Come 
I applaud this church. Y'all have done, y'all have ministered to him and his family, no doubt. But when's the last time somebody went to him? And, I'm, and, not, and, and by the way, we're going to deal with something here in just a minute. I'm trying to hurry. But I, I truly, this is a burden on mine, on, of my heart, is to go in and try to help churches minister to their preachers. Because these things, I preach this to my people. All right, we're a new church plant. I preach this to my people. Like, they don't, they don't know better. So guess what? It was good for my people. It's good for you people. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And I try to preach this everywhere I go. But the reality is this. When's the last time somebody went and checked on it? And said, hey, how's your spiritual tank? I, I guarantee you he doesn't skip his devotions. Because he's trying to be an example to the believers. And he's trying to put something out for you. Those musing minutes. He's, going, he's like, God, i got to get something from you. I need you. I need you to give me something. But when's, when did somebody go to him and say, Pastor, how's your, how's your spiritual tank? Hey, Pastor, how's your emotional tank? Hey, I'm not talking about the fringe people. The people that cast the accusations at him. By the way, uh, the, some of the people that are nearest and dearest to us hurt us the most. I'm like, well, I didn't like how he did this. If you can show me from the Bible where he violated Scripture, I will line up with you. And until then, don't bring it to my doorstep. Well, I just think that was a little bit, and, and I, didn't, I didn't care about how you feel. I'm all for it. By the way, there's a lot of people today that are against this whole give me chapter and verse. I'm all for chapter and verse. I want to live according to this book. That's, I, I don't care what anybody's philosophy is. I don't care what anybody's feelings are. I, I care about what this book says. And where the book contradicts my life, I change my life to line up with the book. That's just kind of simple. That's Oh, wait a sec. That's old timey. <laughs> So what's the remedy? What's the remedy? I love how God does this. God gives us the remedy in chapter number 19. What's the remedy for the physical? In verse number 5, it says, lay and sleep. And I love this. Arise and eat. High five. I'm all about that. Wake up in the morning. I want some bacon. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Shame on the devil. Good cup of coffee. Hey, man. Get some fried eggs. Now, I know. I know he, he got on it this morning. And the foods can be a comfort. It, it can be. But, man, there's something about it. Smelling bacon. Hallelujah. We were driving through Gatlinburg. All of a sudden, you just, in the morning, you just... That way, you're just following the smoke. Y'all wonder why they call them the Smoky Mountains because they cook bacon all day. Hey, man. But it's amazing to me. He tells him, he says, hey, I want you to lay down and sleep. I want you to arise and eat. And he says, hey, your journey is long. Hey, hey your journey is long. Hey, 
sleep. Hey, when's the last time somebody went to the preacher and said, preacher, we know you've been running. Here, take a couple days off. Hey, this is what we're going to do. We know, because you know, you know his responsibilities. You know what he's got going on. That's your responsibility as a church to make sure that he is rested. And by the way, preacher, let them minister to you in that way. I know this is hard for us. We're like, well, the ministry, whose ministry is it? It's not his, it's yours. You have him as a leader. You voted, and he and some of you are like, I didn't get a vote. Well, you did when you joined the church. Amen. You joined in in all the past votes. Their history became your present. Amen. And so you voted him in as pastor. You have a biblical responsibility as a church to make sure that he is rested. Now, you can't help the 2 o'clock calls, but you can make sure if he gets one that he gets an extra day that week. Hey, how about vacation time? How many of you work for a company that gives you vacation time? Does vacation time ever shrink the longer you're at a company? I, I, I've got a, I got a guy in my church. He, he's been with the same company for 12 years. He just got six weeks vacation. I'm like, boom, yeah, buddy. I got excited for him. I'm like, where are you going to go? He goes, actually, I think we're just going to stay home. Boom, better. I like that. Come minister at the church. Amen. No. No, I am excited for him. Right now, he is on 12 weeks, 12 weeks of paternity leave. They just adopted a new two-year-old, Harper. Oh, man, I'm so excited for him. He gets to be at home. He texted me yesterday. He's like, man, this has been awesome. I've been reading, and I've been with the family. He's like, we rearranged our bedroom because he works from home. The company he works for down in Des Moines, they don't rent that space anymore, so he gets to work from home. He's like, we rearranged our room. We put the computer away. Hey, for, for the next 12 weeks, I get to just spend time with my family. And he's already told me. He said, hey, let me know when you need me at church. I'll be there. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Shame on the devil. I'm excited. Do you know what that means? He's getting a total of 18 weeks. All paid. Hallelujah. And we get upset when the preacher wants to take a day off. Shame on us. You ought to be looking at uh, you ought to be looking at this. How long has he been here? Hey, we need to make sure that we're giving him vacation time. And by the way, not just giving him vacation time, actually taking it. And by the way, a missions trip to to Scotland is not a vacation. He is there ministering to the needs of your families. Man, one of the most frustrating things that happens to me is when we get back from a ministry trip, Pastor, how was your vacation? Like if you only saw what a day was, we got an opportunity to go preach a uh, men's meeting in Washington, and we helped prepare the food. Every morning we were up by six. We were in the kitchen, serving. I would then leave the kitchen, go and preach, come back to the kitchen, help prep lunch, go back and preach, and then come back out and start smoking meat for supper. Well, glory. Do you know that's work? And when we got done, 
I was tired. And then when you get home with this, how was your vacation? There was no rejoicing of what God did in the meeting. No, hey, nobody, no, nobody's getting all excited about what God's doing. It's like you weren't here and this happened and this happened and this happened. Shame on the church that when the pastor goes away for a week that they cannot behave themselves enough in the house of God that he has to come back and fix all the problems that happened while he was gone. Shame on you. I tell my church this. I, I preach this to our teenagers. If you're 12, 13, 14 years old and your mom and dad are having to corporately, uh, corporal, corporally discipline you, shame on you. You know how to obey. You know what the rules are. You know right and wrong. Shame on you. It's not mom and dad. Hey, I don't get on mom and dad. I'm getting on the kid. And preacher comes home from a vacation, and, and I'm telling you, every preacher that I've talked to, every preacher I've talked to, this is, I can't go away because I know when I come back, there's a disaster going to happen. We went away in January. We, we went away. Church sent us away for two weeks. And one of my deacons tried to split the church on a Sunday that I was gone. We talk about it all the time. Hey, there is a fear now of going away. I was away from the church today. It has been everything within me not to send texts to all my men. Hey, how did it go? What happened today? Who showed up? Who didn't show up? I told them I'm not going to text them. This is a, a, a trust-building exercise. And so far, it's been good. I've not gotten any calls that anybody's leaving or splitting the church. But you have a biblical responsibility to make sure that he gets rest. You've got a biblical responsibility to make sure he eats well. That's on the church. God provides. I know that. But y'all have a commitment together. He serves you, you serve him. Not in the, do what I want. But there is a, a scriptural agreement to where he meets your needs, you meet his, and then God meets the needs of the church. It's amazing how that works. Then we see, how does he get the spiritual tank? I love this. I love this. Where did he go? He went back to Mount Hebron. Or Heb 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 Hebron. The Mount of God. He went back to the place he knew God was. See, he, he knew God answered prayer. But then all of a sudden he's under a juniper tree and he's like, I don't know where God is. Because that spiritual tank got emptied. And when it gets emptied, watch this, and the physical tank and the emotional tank are all empty at the same time, that is a very treacherous place to be as a minister of God. That's why a pastor can walk into his office after having their biggest day. They had 522 people come into church. They had 14 salvations that morning. After everyone, he stands at the back door, greets everyone, goes to his office, writes a note of, I can't do this anymore, takes the gun out of his desk and shoots himself. The biggest day of the church's history was also the worst day in the church's history. Why? 
Because his emotional and physical and spiritual tank was empty. Church, you have a biblical responsibility to make sure his spiritual tank stays full. You have a biblical responsibility to make sure that he gets time to be in the word of God. I don't know what that looks like. Corporately as a church, you set up, we don't call him before noon. I know you've got a school. So when the school year starts, you've got to make sure that you're making time for him to get that spiritual renewal. Make sure that, he, like, hey, preacher, we'd like to send you to this conference. Hey, not, not just, for, not just so, so you can go to the conference and be wearied, but so that you can be refreshed. Hey, by the way, I, I love this in Scripture because you know who refreshed Paul? Fellow believers. Hey, if you're walking with, you know what, this is, this, is, this is true for me. I've got a couple of men in my church, and all I need to do is spend three or four hours with them. And, man, they pour into me, and they help keep my tank full. I, mean, I, I tell you what, my favorite, and I keep saying this, my favorite aspect of the, the, the cross, the Passion Week, is Gethsemane. I've got probably four or five different books on just Gethsemane. I love reading about Gethsemane. One of my men has started reading about it. He's like, man, you keep talking about it, talking about it. And I heard this guy preach about it. He goes, I, I just want to get in on where you're at. And do you know that he and I have had hour-long conversations about Gethsemane? He's pouring into me. I'm pouring into him. And my spiritual tank is staying full. I know I go to the Bible. I don't forsake my devotion. I know each and every one of us have got to find God and we've got to have him minister to us. But here it is. Who's making sure the pastor is getting that? Hey, preacher, what were you reading in your devotions this morning? This is what I got. When's the last time a man went up and to him and did that? Said, hey, preacher, let's go get some coffee. And he not have to pay for it. Like, hey, what do you what do you need? What's the problem, brother? Oh, nothing. I just want to have a cup of coffee with you. Get three or four men together and take them out and say, hey, let's just fellowship. Hey, then three or four ladies get together and take Miss Stacy and just fellowship. Not pour problems under, but fill her tank. By the way, the pastor can take a whole lot more than the pastor's wife. We're designed for it. We're built for it. I'm the mountain. I can take whatever pressure that's going to come when those tectonic plates start rubbing and start producing friction and they start producing out and they start bulging out and there's stress everywhere. Guess what? I can take it. She can't. So I try to, as much as possible, keep her shielded from it. And I make sure that it's not affecting my kids. Hey, when's the last time that the church just corporately took the kids out? Now, I know you got to get that cleared by him. And by the way, hey, get the devil out of your house. and <laughs> He's got to be careful who he lets his kids go with. If you're living in sin, like, Pastor, we want to bless you. Let us take you. <laughs> we don't need Trailer Parkville <laughs> showing up in the, the trolley. He's trying to have his kids simple concerning evil. But when's the last time the church took time and said, you know what? Let's just take them out. Let's just invest in them. It doesn't take a lot of money. I'm not saying take up thousands and thousands of dollars of offerings. But y'all took up an offering for one of your missionaries this morning. 
When's the last time the church just got together and said, tonight, hey, pastor, just a second. Hey, we're going to put an offering plate right down here. And we're going to be a blessing to our pastor. When's the last time that happened? I don't know when it was, and I'm not, I'm not trying to embarrass anybody. I'm not trying to call anybody out. But I know y'all did it for us. Y'all gave us like $633 or $833. I don't remember what y'all gave us. It was either six or $800. Just in one night, and we had just met. Pastor's like, hey, we want them to have a good time while they're here. Let's give them some spending money. Man, y'all showed up and showed out. Praise God, hallelujah. And we did. We had a blast. We love coming back. I'm just waiting for him to do it. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> but isn't it amazing? It's amazing. We'll do that for all the other people, but we won't do it for our pastor. See, we wonder why the preacher got under the juniper tree. But watch this. I love this. The emotional tank. God tells him, he says, hey, I want you to go and anoint this king of Syria. Isn't that interesting? We don't normally find the man of God anointing kings of heathen nations. Matter of fact, when you read through scriptures, this is going to be one of the only instances you're going to find it. Very interesting. In just two chapters, the Syrian king that has been anointed will be in rule when Ahab is killed. God told him, he said, I want you to anoint him king, and he's going to slay your enemies. He said, oh, and by the way, I want you to anoint Jehu to be king. And whoever the Syrian king doesn't slay, Jehu will. Oh, and by the way, I want you to go and anoint Elisha. Because, now watch this, read it. Whoever the Syrian king doesn't slay and Jehu doesn't slay, Elisha will slay. The man of God is going to kill somebody. You ever feel that way? God was giving Elijah what he needed to face all his foes. He said, I'm going to give you one that's going to take care of the fringe people. And I'm going to give you one that are going to be taking care of the ones that, that say they're part of me, but they're not really part of me. And I'm going to give you one that's going to take care of the ones that are really close. Hey, <clears throat> y'all need to make sure that the fringe are not attacking your pastor. It's amazing to me how, how the people will just come for one or two services, and then they're like, well, I just don't like how he does it. You need to tell them, shut your mouth. Hey, well, I, well that is insensitive. No, it's old-timey. Hey, you, don't, you don't like shut thy mouth? Uh, Closeth thy lips! Until I seal them forever for you. <laughs> Hark. I, I don't know what Shakespearean would say. Of I slappeth thee upon the lippeth. <laughs> but here it is. That, that when you hear somebody criticizing your pastor. No you don't put up with that. Right. I, this happened to me when I was an assistant pastor. I loved being an assistant pastor. Because I viewed my job as a sheepdog. I wasn't the shepherd. But I was to help the shepherd. And I had this man, he came up to me, he's like, Brother Ferguson. I was like, yes, sir. He goes, 
man, I just really have got this issue with preacher. And ah, man, he's, he, he did this to me. I'm like, oh, really? Hey, pastor. Hey, come here. Come here. Come here. Pastor, come here. I, I, brother, brother here said he's got an issue with you. He said y'all were dealing with something. And the fellow wasn't walking over. I was like, hey, come come with me, preacher, real quick. Hey, pastor. Uh, he said that. Hey, what was that you were saying? That, that pastor hadn't, 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 he didn't do something? Do you know that people didn't come and start talking to me, trying to undercut as they did the other assistants? Matter of fact, one of the assistants started getting his own following and split the church. Matter of fact, the fellow that would take my place on that staff would end up doing the exact same thing. And my job was to make sure that if I heard anything about my pastor, mm -mm. matter of fact, there was a neighbor the one day, and I, I I love my pastor, neighbor is over there and he's he's yelling at my pastor cussing swearing and i just step out the door and i hear it and as soon as i heard it i go running over and i get between pastor and this man and i said shut your mouth or i'll shut it for you you don't talk to my man of god like that and the guy who do you think you are who do you think you are talking to my man of god you're like, you were aggressive. Yes, I was. I'm not going to let anybody talk about my man of God. Now I got in trouble for it. <laughs> and I was okay for it. I took it right on the chin. I was like, Pastor, if, I, if it happens again, I'm going to do it again. I got no problem cutting his tires. I grew up in Trailer Parkville, Tennessee. Amen. I'm good at redneck revenge. We call that R&R where I'm from. <laughs> And here it is. It's amazing to me. How many people will just put up with a little bit? I can't believe he said that from the pulpit. We're like, oh, well, you know, we try to justify him. Don't try to justify him. Take him right to him and say, hey, pastor, hey, he said this. Help, help clear the air. And you will find the wolves. Wolves don't like to be exposed. Your pastor needs some men. They're going to watch for his soul, his body, and his spirit. One of the biggest cares this man has in his life, though, is his family. And what's important to him should be important to you. Just as what's important to you is important to God. It's a beautiful picture. Church, you have a biblical responsibility for this. Now you're starting to see why this is an unpopular message. You're a good church. You love your pastor, there's no doubt in my mind. But let me ask you a question. Have you been checking on his tanks? Has somebody, hey, this is where I, we have this at our church. I'm going to tell you what we're doing, we're going to be done. <clears throat> at my church, I've got an advocate. It's a biblical principle. Jesus is our advocate with the Father. I've got an advocate. Somebody that I talk to with my leadership that I get to pick. I don't need somebody that comes every other Sunday to be my advocate. They have no clue what's going on. They're not spiritual enough to be able to just keep the commandment of forsaking not the assembling of themselves together. He needs an advocate. Somebody that comes to him 
as the church's ambassador to him and his advocate to the church is checking on him. Hey, where are you at financially? Hey, I heard, I heard y'all are taking care of the Alexander's insurance. Praise the Lord. Hey, how about his? I don't know if you're, I don't know what you're doing, what not, not doing. Pastor and I have not talked about this. I have no clue what his, what, what you are doing as a church to tend to the needs of your, your shepherd. But, hey, when's, when's the last time you went to him and said, hey, you know what, the inflation is really hitting through the roof and I, it's affecting all of us. How's it affecting you? I didn't have anybody come and ask me about that until my advocate came to me. and like, hey, pastor, we're wanting to talk about this. Where are you at? And I was able to be honest with them. This is where I'm at. And praise the Lord, our church was able to do an increase. Hallelujah, praise the Lord, shame on the devil. You might not be able to do an increase, but you can say, Pastor, this is, hey, we're going we're gonna to keep this in front of our men. We're going to keep this in front of the church. We're going to try to do our dead level best to make sure that you are getting, so, maybe we can't pay you more, but we can give you some other perks in other areas. Maybe let him use the guest room for a night. Nobody bothering. I thought that was funny. Never mind, that wasn't very funny. Like he's not, he's, he, he lives down the road. He's not going to stay in your guest room. But here it is. But you have a biblical responsibility to make sure that his family is taken care of. When's the last time that one of the men went to Alex and said, hey, how you doing, buddy? How's your physical tank? How's your spiritual tank? How's your emotional tank? When's the last time that somebody went to Miss Grace, grandchild? Or brother Coy and said, man, I know you've been working a lot. Hey, how are things going? Hey, how can I pray for you? Hey, I, I'm not saying the pastor's family is any more special than any other family because I know he goes to you and says, hey, how can I pray for you? How can I, how can I minister to you? Where can I help you? And the church has that responsibility back to him. Make sure he is rested. Make sure that his spiritual tank is full. And then when he pours out on Sunday, he gets a chance to replenish. And you're making sure his emotional needs are met. That there are people around him that are making sure that his enemies aren't getting to him. Come here, preacher. <clears throat> I know Sister Stacy is in the nursery and she's like, will you get done? She's looking at me through the window back here. <laughs> Sideways glance. She's supposed to be listening, but I don't think they are. <laughs> but here it is. Watch this. I help make up his hedge. This is my friend. We're, com we're, we're comrades in arms. Band of brothers right here. But I'm nine hours away. Now, he calls. I'll be here. Pat, Jeff, I need you. I don't, I don't care if I'm driving through the night. He knows it. I'll be here. And I know the same is true for him. I've got probably five or six friends like that. But who else in here, men, will help make up the hedge for your preacher? Stand up. I no judgment. I'm not, I'm, not at, I'm not trying to get you to... But you say, you know what? I'll make up my preacher's hedge. Ladies, who will make up your preacher's wife's hedge? Stand up. Young people, you say, I'm going to help make up the hedge of the kids. That's me. I'm going I'm to do that. 
Folks, we got a good group standing here. No doubt. And there's some of you, they're, they're sitting down and you're, you're like, yeah, I'll, I'm, I'm standing on the inside like the kid that's disobeying. But here it is. Let me, let me encourage you in this. He's not going to come and whine and complain and murmur about the ministry. You're going to have to come in him, to him and you're probably going to have to drag it out of him. But this right here, brother, this is your hedge. This is your family's hedge. That does my heart well. You got to make sure that he doesn't get to the juniper tree. We know there's a problem when he says it is enough. We're going to make sure that they don't get there. This is your pastor. This is his family. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this night.